It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings nearly 40 years of experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses raised, heads bowed down. We gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this old way. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. If this is the first time you heard the show, hey, welcome aboard. If you've heard the show before, you know a little bit about the format. Uh, the first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate. In today's world, it's very important to stay out of court. And as far as elder law is concerned, our main concern is saving our house, mostly our house, from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion. Today, I think we're going to be talking to Father Paul, uh, partly about history and religion in, in the Middle East. And as most of you know, we start the show, one of our attorneys joins us for the first part of the show. And our semi-regular attorney on this, Nicole Donnelly, is here. Hello, Welcome. hello, everyone. <laughs> okay, Nicole, now what we were talking about, this wasn't a question, but it is something that pops up once in a while. People are coming in with huge books that are trusts, in theory, trust agreements. And, you know, it's there are a lot of problems with these books. I don't know how anybody really ever, why anybody would buy one, what they're charging people for it, but can you just saw somebody with one of those books. So... What I find is that 90% of the time, the people who get these books do not read the book because it's so long and it seems like a foreign language to them. And they're trusting the attorneys that are providing this book. And 99% of the time when we actually read through the book, it doesn't say what they told the attorney they wanted as their plan. So I would say estate planning goes wrong 100% of the time when you start with a big book. I, I wouldn't say quite that much. You know, sometimes if you want a revocable trust and you got two kids and they get along, there might be, you know. But the, the problem that I've seen with a lot of these books is that the language within the book is contradictory. The, you know, page 17 contradicts page 95. Page 95 contradicts page 115. And, of course, who's going to read the whole thing? I don't know what client's going to read a, a book of 150 pages of legalese. And what's included, what's not included, half the times, like those standard books, the power of attorney they give you in those books is not adequate to, you know, take care of your estate planning needs, especially, God forbid, you go to a nursing home or you have advanced estate planning and you need to make some gifts or to 
you know, at some point in the future to save on the estate tax, which right now in New York is $6 million. And uh, talk about the one thing about revocable becoming irrevocable that you saw. So we had some clients come in and it was a husband and wife and you would assume that husband and wife revocable trust does not become revocable upon the passing of the first of them except it should become irrevocable upon the passing of the last of them because you want the surviving spouse to always be able to change it. That's the point of having it revocable with both parties in charge. This kit made it irrevocable upon the passing of the first spouse, leaving the other spouse with their hands tied as far as changes are concerned. And that could be very problematic for a number of reasons. And just not now, what there they Now, there may be some reasons to do that. You know, upon, I, I, I'll give you one, let's say a second marriage situation where the division of the trust is 50-50 to, let's say, the husband's children, 50% to the wife's children. And they they don't want the survivor to disinherit the other's respective children. So sometimes we do do that. It's it's not like there's a set answer for everything. But in the case you're talking about, as far as I could tell, there was no reason at all to make the trust irrevocable at any point. It it wasn't needed. It wasn't it didn't accomplish any estate goal because there were exceptions as far as, you know, Medicaid and nursing homes where they could easily get Medicaid within a few months because of, of the circumstances involved. And probably we should spend, a, you know, a section on the exempt transfers if somebody's going to a nursing home. What can we do, you know, even the, let's say the month before going to a nursing home, which one of those things is getting married. Um, which, surprisingly enough, a lot of clients are very much against some are definitely for it, but I mean, we had one client and we told him we can save them up to a million dollars in taxes, and by golly, she was not having it. Independent women all her life, and she was not willing to budge on getting married. So if you're looking to not get married, maybe do a little bit more extensive planning, maybe look into charities if you're above the threshold, because paying a million dollars in taxes, I know it makes Mr. Connor sick, and it's starting to make me sick too. <laughs> <laughs> but getting back to the books and, and another complaint I have against these books is they're basically loose leaf binders and there's no security so you have you know basically in effect whether a will is part of it or or not part of it the, the there's no security somebody could take one page out of the loose leaf binder and put another one in and uh, to me, I feel very uncomfortable in that. I mean, listen, it's not that if you staple a document that you can guarantee that nobody's going to line up the staples properly and not be able to get away with a, a forgery of some sort of another. But still, clerks in, in the surrogate's court, and sometimes we complain about this, but clerks in the surrogate's court do look at documents, and if the staples are removed, they flag it. And basically, you have to have either a mini hearing or affidavits or all the children consent to the change, if there is a change, consent to the will. But in today's world, you know, you just don't go down. You, you know, when I first started practicing law, let's say somebody took the staples out of the will. Uh, you go down in the surrogate's court, talk to the clerk and say, this is the same will we signed. It leaves everything to the kids in three equal shares. They've all consented to the will. And basically, if you went down on uh, 2 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon, they would okay it for probate that afternoon. 
Now everything, it seems to go through committee. Everybody takes a second look at it, third look at it. You know, and I, I guess part of the reason is, uh, you know, I hear is that there are probably more people trying to play stunts today than there used to be. I mean, when I first started practicing law, when you wanted to probate a will, you didn't necessarily need a certified copy of the death certificate. Because who would say that you were dead when you weren't dead? <laughs> but apparently, you know, there's, you know, a wife, a wife is, finds out she's dead when she wasn't because her husband put that down and got probate on her estate, moved all the assets to South America or whatever, and, you know, she was... There's no lack of creativity in this world today, that's for sure. And just touching back on that power of attorney, some of the power of attorneys that we see in the kits, well, all of them that we see in the kits we know are inadequate, but some people have power of attorneys from the bank. And there is a difference between the power of attorneys just for finances and a general power of attorney. Do you want to go through that for the listeners? Because some people tell me all the time, well, I already have power of attorney. I can, I can have access to my mother's account or my father's account. And that's also very different from being a joint owner on an account. I'll give you one example. Let's say you want to apply for home care Medicaid, and we have that problem right now. Let's say you want to apply for home care Medicaid and you got $3,000 a month income, you know, let's say $1,500 a month pension and $1,500 a month Social Security. Um, well, technically, if you want to apply for home care Medicaid, that's roughly $2,000 too much. So if you want to apply for home care Medicaid, we have to set up what's called the pooled income trust. And let's say when we're applying for the pooled income trust for Medicaid, if Medicaid finds out that you don't have the authority under the power of attorney to set up a trust, then they could just say, hey, we're not approving this application. We're not going to work on this application because you don't have the authority to, to set up the pooled income trust, so we don't have to work on the, the file because you don't have the authority. Your mother, your father is not eligible for Medicaid, and goodbye. And this happens, you know, I would say it happens to us at least once or twice a year. The alternative is to try real hard to get another power of attorney signed if we can, or possibly have to go to court to get a guardian appointed to complete the application. And even then, it's up to the judge. And going through court right now is not, again, an easy thing. Sometimes going to court could take six months, a year. You have to account for everything. You have need court permission to do virtually, you know, do anything. So, you know, PAV attorney, you have a form that says PAV attorney, does not mean that it's valid or it's good to do all the transactions you may need to do if you're going to apply for Medicaid. And I can't stress that enough. And then also sometimes, let's say we have somebody who's got more than a $6 million estate. They're sick. We want to make gifts in excess of $5,000. Well, the standard power of attorney only allows you to make gifts of $5,000. So let's say for the sake of argument, we got somebody who's got three kids and 10 grandkids and they're over $6 million, and literally by giving away possibly $100,000, we can, you know, we, we can save $100,000 in taxes. So the, the, the power of attorney you find in those books usually is not, I mean, sometimes attorneys do, do make changes to them, but the, the powers of attorney done in those books are not adequate to meet your estate planning needs. And if you want to come in and talk to us about it, our phone number is 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500.
We have offices in Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and Manhattan. We don't charge for the initial consultation. And then we go from there. So if you have any doubt, give us a call at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by Nicole Donnelly. Always a pleasure. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888 888- 954-7463 and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591 Contour Mortgage Corporation NMLS number 34384 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York 11530 Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for. Because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, there are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. 
time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Right now, you know, we're very, very happy to have Father Paul back in the United States. He's going to tell us what's going on overseas. Well, welcome to the show, Father. Thank you so much, Mr. Connors. Thank you, Mike and Beth. And to everyone who's listening, have a blessed Monday. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so we're on a, you know, we're getting new viewers, listeners each week. But those of you who haven't heard you before on the radio or haven't met you, can you give the audience a little bit of your background and where, where are you stationed right now? Absolutely, yes. So, um, many hugs from Beirut. That's my, that's my uh, magic place to be. Um, I'm now a little bit um, uh, kind of in, in New York City uh, to meet my friends. Um, I'm a Franciscan. A Capuchin friar, so a rebel, because Saint Francis from Assisi was a rebel, and for almost 20 years we're trying to um, to create a magical help space for our Christians in in the Middle East, especially in Lebanon. Um, and uh, being a Franciscan and a physician at the same time, it's a blessing, and I'm very happy that uh, I was I was able and still able to to help Christian communities, especially in Lebanon. Uh, because they need us, so this is who I am. Okay, now what is what is the situation of Lebanon? When I was in grammar school, you know, we were taught that Lebanon was the virtually the only Christian country in the Middle East, but that's changed over the years now, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely, yes. It, it has changed dramatically. Um, now we have um, a Christian community is actually a minority community. And a lot of restrictions, a lot of limitations. Um, Christian community is actually um, suffering, uh, not just because of never-ending civil wars, but now food crisis, uh, health crisis, political crisis. And usually everyone is blaming Christian community, even though they're like maybe 20% now of the entire society. Um, so the the radical Islam, of course, is gaining a lot of space. So this that's something that uh, makes um, Christian community uh, very uncomfortable. But what we're trying to do, we try to really, uh, on a daily basis, help them out, feed them, provide medical help. But Lebanon these days is no longer that Lebanon that you know, Mr. Connors, from your high school studies. It's, it's really a struggle now, and, and, and it's a very hugely unequal society, uh, very unstable economy, uh, very much job market is actually miserable, especially for Christians. A lot of them, they would love to leave the country, but they have no, uh, they have no options, they have no uh, opportunities. So um, the state scrambled, um, and so in the meantime also, uh, Lebanon is, is actually a victim of, of war in Ukraine because uh, lack of food is because there, there are no, no more food provided uh, by international organizations because of the war in Ukraine. Uh, it's hard to deal with that food insecurity in Lebanon, but it is what it is uh, realistically. A lot of tension between Christian community and Islamic movements. So that's basically our reality, Mr. Connors. 
Now, some of the people over here, and we've discussed this before when you've been on the show, but they sometimes get confused between different terminology, like what is Hamas, what is Hezbollah, and what do you deal with mostly? Oh, okay. Um, so that's a great question. So, um, so Hamas is an organization in, in, in Palestine, and um, it's actually um, everything about independence of Palestine. It was established in 1987 in Gaza, in Palestine. And so what they, Hamas is much more uh, kind of connected to um, Palestinian independence. Hezbollah on the other side. Hezbollah, they call themselves, uh, they, come to, they call themselves party of God. And uh, what, they, what they do, they, they believe that uh, Lebanese independence can be only protected by them. It's a Shia Islamist political party, and they are uh, they were established in 1982 in the south of Lebanon, and so they consider themselves as protectors of Lebanese independence. So now, it's all about Lebanon and independence. Again, now, Father, what what is the yes. difference between Shia and Sunni, or Sufi for that matter? Oh, yes, actually, that's a great question. Um, so long story short, uh, uh, long story short. So when Prophet Muhammad um, died, um, so let's say the family split, divided. They, they they said, you know, this cousin is is the one who follows Prophet teaching um, perfectly well. The other cousin is not really doing the job. So. It, it was a kind of also a vicious and devastating type of violence within the family. So, so they split between Sunni and Shia. Um, the differences are probably the differences are about which one is closer to Prophet Muhammad's teaching. So both of them they claim they are the only followers. Uh, but Shia makes about 10% of the global Muslim population. Sunni are the rest. Um, similarities, the Quran, of course, Hadith, five pillars of Islam. Uh, but differences is mostly ideological, relates to questions of religious authority, of leadership. Uh, they, they believe that, you know, uh, everyone believes that their prophet's closest companion. And, and so it's, it's really, um, it's really like a family split in half where, where they say, oh, um, I'm the only one who, who understands the whole teaching of Prophet Muhammad. The others, they say, no, we are the one uh, following. So, you know, basic differences are about, uh, it's all about uh, how they process, how they follow up with the teaching uh, between Sunni and Shia. And it's, it's actually um, about kind of religious uh, approach, and that's what makes the tension between both of them. Now, we know that Iran is a menace for you because of Hezbollah, you know, as, as their proxy. But yes. what, what is the yes. relationship with Saudi Arabia? Oh, great question, great question. So, of course, um, Saudi Arabia would never uh, um, kind of admit, you know, who's the enemy because, you know, they try to be very, very much... Um, Play every side. Uh, 
politically correct or whatever, like, let's say independent, but actually uh, Saudi Arabia is a Sunni Islam, that is state religion. Shia is, is majority in Iran, Iraq, Azerbaijan, Bahrain, Lebanon. So, of course, uh, Saudis would never accept the idea of Hezbollah running the country because it's a different religious community. It's kind of interesting also because people think that Islam is united, it's a one force, but it's not actually, mm-hmm. it's very divided, very divided and, and very divisive. So, so Saudi Arabia might would never admit uh, that they are uh, acknowledging or, 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 or kind of, you know, uh, understand Mm-hmm. Um, the Hezbollah movement—it's it's a very separated organization. Right. For now, what was what was the impact of what was the impact of the Iraq War on Lebanon? The war in Iraq, uh, Christians, uh, a lot of Christians left uh, Iraq, and through Syria or Jordan, they ended up in Lebanon. So we ended up with with almost two million uh, refugees in Iraq, and. But uh, later, we ended up with 1.5 million refugees from Syria. So any war is actually tracking down Christians. Uh, you know, the Arab Spring mm-hmm. was the open gate to to uh, eliminate Christians and Christianity. Uh, so this is the main the main. Um, well, I mean, people call it the Arab Spring. People call it the Arab Spring, but I feel like it should be called the Arab Fall because of all the damage it did. Yes, or, or winter for Christians. Yeah. Or winter for Christians yeah. because everything that happened to them was just. Uh, was and, just for, and for history. And they paid the price. Yeah, and for history yes, because of all the the relics destroyed, the, you know, so much. Oh, yes, and the persecution. Yes. In Egypt. No one talks about daily persecutions of Christians in Egypt. I mean, Morsi uh, was so people, underratedly yeah. evil, truly. Yeah, but absolutely. Al Sisi seems to be trying to rebuild some of it, even if he's using a strong hand to do it. Yes. So it is. It is crazy, and and it's really, sadly, uh, it's also very unstable situation. But Christians, they pay the price till now. So that that's certainly you know any war has impact on people, but Christian communities suffer the most. Yeah. Now we had conversations about who the most evil person in the world was, and you know we ended up being split between Xi Jinping and Erdogan in Turkey. Yes. Now tell us tell us about Turkey and why Turkey's actions as of late have been so evil. Well, uh, he wants to be a sultan, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants to. He wants to really dictate his idea of, of an understanding of Islam. Uh, he wants to have a radical Islam. That's how he he started the whole process of changing things in, in Turkey. That was a kind of a, a secular republic. But well, that and, and that goes back case. to uh, that goes back to Ataturk. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes, one hundred percent. And also, uh, the tension is because um, she believes that he's the only one who who understands uh, Islamic teaching. He's the only one who knows how to process things. But even Turkey population, which is very young, actually, they are really concerned 
But what he's doing, he's using uh, manipulation, he's using misinterpretation, he's using misguidance, uh, just because he believes he, he's supposed to be the next one. It, it's kind of interesting because they try to really separate themselves from the Ottoman Empire, but what he's doing, he tried to recreate the same idea kind of uh, in, in a modern era. So um, this is a very vicious circle of things that he's doing. He put a lot of um, intellectuals in jail, the judges, he's striking down anyone who's, who's opposing his, his uh, ideas. So this is a very vicious evil circle, what's going on in, in Turkey now. And bringing it back around, how does that affect us? How does that affect how the West should be viewing everything? Well, the West has to understand that there is no such thing like intellectual Islam, where we talk about teaching, where we talk about uh, interpretations. Um, the Quran is very clear, eliminating Christians, that's the goal number one. And uh, so we have to also understand that um, we can't just miss... Um, miss that uh, idea of, of the Quran where, where Christians uh, are to be there all to be eliminated. Can you tell um, can you tell I, our audience what takia is? What's what? Takia? I don't I may not be I may be mispronouncing it, but the idea that it's allowable to lie to non believers. Yes, yes, which is which is also to misguide them. Mm -hmm. which is also to mis it's more like misguiding them. Why? Because the goal is whether it's to convert or to kill anyone who doesn't want to convert. Um, but this is more like a, a, a misguidance, uh, lies, yes. This is a very, very strong point. And also, uh, let's be honest, um, the radical Islam is, is very powerful because they have a tremendous support, financial support from Iran or, or, or from different countries where, where really people are, are convinced that Islam should be always be the number one. So that's a Christian community is suffering because of that. Mm -hmm. But our, our mission is actually to help Christian community to understand they are not abandoned. We do our best to help them out, whether med medically or with food, yes. Where does your community live? So, northern part of Lebanon is mostly Christian. Southern part of Lebanon is mostly Muslim communities. So, our mission is, is anything uh, up to the north from Beirut, right to the Syrian borders, where we try to, where we try to help uh, Christian communities. So what is your daily, uh, you probably don't have a routine, but what do you do weekly? What's, what's your mission each week? Especially now, yeah, especially now it's because of food insecurity, I'm actually a great driver because I'm, I'm buying food from Jordan uh, or, or before uh, before we were trying to also um, have some food uh, uh, from, from Egypt. So my number one is to feed people first because from a medical perspective, I can't treat anyone medically if someone is hungry. And, and this last couple of, of months, uh, given the food insecurity, my, my daily routine or weekly routine was going back and forth to Jordan, buy food, feed families, um, because in each area it's about two or three hundred families. Um, so you know, I'm spending around $250, $300 per week 
um, just to to pay my the transport and the car and uh, I'm using the the US ambulance to go back and forth to Amman. So now it's all about food. And once someone is is is, is uh, adding food, I can talk about medical uh, help. But this is my reality, Mr. Carlos. It's buying food, feeding Christian community. And only Christian community. Uh, that's my mission: is to help Christians. Now, why is why is Jordan so kind to Christians when other powers in the region are not? I think because historically, all these tribes they were actually they're, they have a very peaceful uh, collaboration and peaceful existence. And also, the King of Jordan really tries to keep things, um, you know, in a good way. Uh, so the Christian community is just really present, and um, but also that there's no there's no issues between the government or, or the King of Jordan. So they really they really understand the issue, and and they they know that you know every time I cross the border back and forth, they know that I'm actually buying food for Christian community in Lebanon. That's secret, but I've never had any issues. It was always they were always very supportive and. And sometimes they add extra box of, of, of fruits of, of veggies for for our um, for our community. So that's fantastic. Yes, I, I have no complaints. It takes time, of course, because you know we have to drive every time a couple of hours. We don't have highways over there. It's a very simple road, so it takes time. But I'm happy to to do this because you know the first number one that's remembered from the gospel, Jesus said, you have to feed them. So we're trying to follow up with it. Now where now we do run commercials on this show and please listen to the commercial because when we're talking about St. Francis and Beirut, we're talking about Father Paul's mission. But how can people besides prayers, how can people help you? What do you need? That's a great question. So um we don't need clothes or or and then you know, um things for children. Sometimes people are are sending us um games or something because they don't have that type of traditions. Uh, we actually always, we, we wanted a medical equipment or medications and now food to be provided. So uh, if, if someone would like to help us financially, uh, the best way is to, to, um, to send us a check to San Francis of, from San Francis from Assisi. Um, it's our NGO, our our non-profit organization that we had a chance to create with you, Mr. Connors and Mike and Beth. Uh, St. Francis in Beirut, it's a, it's a new uh, non-profit organization, that, and that's how we are trying to help Christians. What will we usually do once we receive a donation, um, we can use this money to convert to a local currency and buy food the way the same way I do this in, in Amman or provide medication. So. Uh, that's the best way uh, to help us because sending anything to to Beirut, uh, it's going to cost us a lot of money to pay taxes, ship shipments. Uh, but once we have uh, financial support, so we can use our bank in Amman in Jordan, and we can just buy things right away, uh, and that's the, the easiest way because we have at least two or three hundred families per week. Uh, we're buying food for them, especially now this last couple of weeks, uh, months. How, what, what is the daily diet of the people you're helping? How much how much food do they have? So I usually buy around 60-70 kilograms of food, which is bread, veggies, um, sometimes fruits. But most of the time, I, I because um, that's the easiest way also to 
to transport is, is bread, which is a very flat bread that I'm sure you know. Uh, veggies, so, so potatoes, uh, tomatoes, you know, that type of things, or green veggies, so they can really mix them up and, and cook something uh, for a soup. Um, I, I'm bringing also a lot of equipment for like uh, to cook, uh, so they can they can use it as well. Most of the, that equipment that they had at home is so old, it, it's not really usable. Uh, so yeah, that's basically what I'm what I'm bringing. Uh, now we we were thinking about doing a fundraiser very soon, but your schedule was such that it was difficult for you to get back to the states and plan something. So we're going to try to do something in the spring, maybe late winter, early spring, in March, April. Oh yes, absolutely. I'm, I think next year, April or May, that'll be perfect. We will have time, and uh, and my friends, whoever is listening to us, you can always join us and help us because I do believe if we don't help Christian community and Christians, who's going to do this? I mean, they, they, we cannot abandon them. They're like a member of our global Christian family. We have to do something for them. So absolutely, Mr. Connors, I think next year, April or May, that sounds fantastic. So we can really help a larger group of Christians in, in Lebanon, especially uh, by the Syrian border. So they can really feel that they, they matter, that they are a part of our family. That would be great. We can't forget them. No. Absolutely. So you want to give our audience, a, and you know, on a lighter note, I heard that you agreed to officiate at uh, Nicole's wedding. who was just on the show earlier. Correct. Yes, correct. And it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be a lot of joy. And I hope Nicole is ready for that. I just heard her laughing outside, so I guess she is. <laughs> I hope so, too. I hope so, too. It's going to be amazing. And, uh, and again, Mr. Connors, Beth, and Mike, I really appreciate your time every time. I'm, I'm, I'm a guest on your show, radio show, which is fantastic. And to all of the listeners, and, and I really appreciate all your kindness and help and prayers because we need it. I really appreciate it. And we have to say hello to Joe Piscopo for, for you. Oh, please do. He's the man. He's the best. He's the man. So all my, my prayers are with him, his family. He's a really great guy. All right, Father, thank you for being on the show. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. 
now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with uh, me, Mike Connors. And you know, in the previous in the previous segment, we talked about you know a deed in the husband's name alone, and if something happened to the husband, what would you know what would we do? And I just want to stress because I think it gets forgotten a lot because it's it's not a, a common problem, but it's a problem that occurs is that we want to avoid probate between husband and wife. You know, a lot of people are on the misconception that if, um, you know, between husband and wife, it automatically passes to the other. That's not true. Um, and let's say a husband has a house in his name alone. He's got a wife. He's got children. He dies without a will. Well, the house will pass roughly half to his wife and half to the children. And, you know, you say, well, what's so bad about that? Well, it, it, it might not be too good if the children are minors and they can't legally sign their own names. And, of course, one of the tough complications we have in today's world is, let's say, the spouse, the children, that spouse, in this case we're talking about wife, she's not the mother of the children. That can cause severe complications. You know, and that's why you need to do some kind of plan. And even between husband and wife, it's important to avoid probate. Let's say husband has a business property. He bought it before he was married. The business or the property, let's say the deed to the property is in his name alone when he dies. He has a will. He leaves it all to his wife. Oh, no problem. It should automatically go to her. No. Let's say it's a second marriage. One of the children from the first marriage, a little bit jealous of the wife, doesn't really like the wife, they don't get along, and I, I think that's a fairly common and natural set of circumstances, especially if there was a divorce. But even if the, if the first wife dies, a lot of times the children resent their father marrying somebody else. So let's say for the sake of argument, the husband dies, he has a business, a business property in his name alone. He leaves that to his wife. He's made other arrangements for his children. Well, one of the children doesn't like the wife, they file objections to the will, they hold up that property in court for years. And, you know, it's, it's part of a fact of life in today's world, but if you 
object to a will 90, 95% of the time, there's a settlement involved. It's just the fact of life in today's world because the court procedures, the processes take so long, somebody wants to give in one side or the other and, you know, it gets settled. And, and forget even, you know, like let's say everybody gets along, husband and wife. Husband has business property. He leaves it to his wife. They have the same children. All the children consent. They file consents in court. And you get, like in Brooklyn, we had the one judge who didn't sign a single court order for 18 months, which means maybe you got a mortgage on this property. You got a buyer. You can't get a court order to sell the property. You're stuck maybe for two years trying to sell the property while the mortgage is being paid. The, the property's vacant because you wanted to sell it and you don't want to put another business in there because then you couldn't easily sell that property. Um, and, and the wife is caught. She's paying the mortgage every month. Maybe she can't afford to pay the mortgage. And the property is just sitting there deteriorating in some cases. So it, it's important to avoid probate even between husband and wife, even when everybody, you know, gets along. And some people think, well, you know, wait a minute, I thought if, if I died without a will, everything would go to my spouse. That ain't true. Half goes to the spouse, half goes to the children. And if one of the children passes away, it could go to the grandchildren. So things can get complicated. The first step is to do a will to make sure you know who you wanted to. But if you want to avoid probate and if you own real estate, the best way to do it is through a trust agreement. And basically, let's say for the sake of argument, you want the property separate you want conditions on the property. Let's say it is a second marriage, and you want your spouse to get the income from this property, let's say rental property or whatever from the sale. It's invested, and the spouse gets the income from the property, and then it goes to the children. And, I mean, that's a fairly common plan with the second wife type of situation, a second spouse type of situation. So, you know, and that also goes back to the question, if you have a trust, if somebody asks me, can I do this in a trust, can I do that in the trust, the answer is almost always yes. Tell us what you want to do in the trust, we'll do it, we'll put it in writing. And, you know, another confusion too, husband and wife, do you guys have power of attorney? No, we don't have power of attorney, we don't need power of attorney, we're married. And, you know, doesn't, doesn't the spouse automatically get power of attorney if something happens to the husband? No. And again, this could be important because let's say we got a husband and wife. Husband has a massive stroke. He has to go to a nursing home. And the wife wants to transfer assets, or at least we advise her to transfer assets from husband and wife to wife. Then wife can apply for Medicaid for her husband. If she doesn't have a PAV attorney and the husband is not mentally competent to sign his own name, then the wife has to go to court and get a court-appointed guardian and hopefully she'll be the guardian, but you still have to ask permission from the court to transfer the assets from husband and wife to wife. The court, one, there may be delays. Obviously, there are delays in today's world. And number two, the judge may not say it because maybe they're, second, they're kids from a second marriage or prior marriage or whatever who don't consent to this. And the, the judge doesn't do anything because he's not sure because the family members are, are fighting. It's very important between husband and wife to have a PAV attorney. Give you an example again. The husband has a massive stroke. He has to go to a nursing home. There's no choice. He has assets in his name alone. Maybe a stock portfolio. Maybe a business. Maybe a house. 
So it's in his name alone. He has to go to a nursing home. The average cost of a nursing home right now in New York City is easily over $15,000 a month. It's closer to seventeen or 18000 in a lot of parts of the city. If you're living in Manhattan, it's going to cost more. So if the wife can't afford to pay that nursing home bill, and who can afford to pay a $16,000, $17,000 a month nursing home bill, if the wife can't afford to pay that bill, and let's say there's pro- property in the husband's name alone, investment property or whatever, she's got to wait to get a court order to transfer the assets. Meanwhile, she's paying fifteen, sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars $17,000 a month, and obviously that can be very, very painful. And if you want to avoid that, we do a power of attorney where the husband specifically gives the wife the ability to transfer assets and can apply for Medicaid. Right now, there's no look-back period on transfers between spouses. Husband transfers everything to wife's name, let's say, during the month of December. On January 1st, the first day of the month following the transfer, the wife, on behalf of her husband, if she has a good power of attorney, can apply for Medicaid, whether it's home care or nursing home, and do a spouse refusal, and the husband will get Medicaid. Now, planning for the wife is the next step because we've got to protect her assets because they're, they're kind of out on a limb right now. But at least the first crisis situation is dealt with and the husband can get Medicaid and the wife's not paying $17,000 a month in nursing home bills. And if you don't have a power of attorney, again, you got to go to court to transfer the assets. If it takes the court six months, and in today's world that would be a lot, that could cost you $100,000. Obviously, six times $17,000 is over $100,000. So... And, and that's not to say that, you know, let's say we get another COVID outbreak or something like that and the courts slow down to a crawl again. I'm not saying it will happen, but it could happen. you got to plan in advance. There's no automatic right between husband and wife to sign each other's name. Let's just say they have a house together. Husband's in a nursing home. He was working. He had income. Now the wife can't afford to keep the house going because she's lost her husband's income and She wants to sell the house and move somewhere else. She cannot sell the house, even though the deed may be both names, husband and wife, in effect, joint tenants, what we call tenants by the entirety. She can't sell the house without a court order. And again, that can be very aggravating if she can't pay the mortgage and she has to go to court to try to sell the house. She's got a buyer for the house, but she can't close until the court says it's okay. And courts are working. They're still backlogged and they're slow. And even if it takes six months, which is fast, six times 17 is more than $100,000. So if, if you know, you're married, you trust your spouse, you want to protect your spouse in case you get sick, you want to be protected in case your spouse gets sick, I would strongly recommend you think about doing a power of attorney. And at the same time, if you have a son or daughter you implicitly trust, or a nephew or niece or another relative who's like a son or daughter, you, you know, you trust them, I'd put, your on, uh, put them on the power of attorney. Now, again, at the same time, don't put just anybody on a power of attorney because if you give it to the wrong person, they can wipe you out, they can steal you blind, and that happens. So you got to be a little careful if somebody's trying to angle to be your power of attorney. But you got to ask yourself this question, who do I trust more? And I would say, you know, like family is not always the, the right answer, but on average... I would go with family first. You know, so again, if you want to be protected in case your spouse gets sick, you want to protect your spouse in case you get sick and you're not able to handle your affairs in a competent manner, then we do a power of attorney. 
If you want, we could put language in the power of attorney that the power of attorney cannot be used unless a medical doctor or a psychiatrist, maybe a psychologist, I don't like that, I prefer a medical doctor, certify that you're not able to handle your affairs in a competent manner. And then the power of attorney can go into effect and you can put somebody in place to pay your bills, protect your assets, God forbid you suffer from a stroke or another disabling illness. So we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. And if you want to talk about doing a power of attorney with our office, please give us a call at assets protected from nursing home bills did you know these bills can exceed fifteen thousand dollars a month people work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care the bills can drain their assets leaving many people bankrupt the good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance connors and sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests including your home Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. 